among us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Have you ever heard the wind go you? Tis a pitiful sound to hear. It seems to chill you through and through with a strange and speechless fear. Tis the voice of the night that broods outside when folks should be asleep. And many and many's the time I've cried To the darkness brooding far and wide Over the land and the deep Whom do you want, O lonely night That you wail the long hours through? And the night would say in its ghostly way You And that was The Night Wind by poet Eugene Fields, written well over a century ago. Well, welcome everyone to Monsters Among Us, and most especially, welcome to this year's Halloween episode. I have an amazing slate of stories to scare you silly with this evening. The full gamut of monsters, mysteries, ghosts, ghouls, and even a submission of evidence. Now I've scoured my folders and files in search of an array of some of our spookiest entries to date. Terrifying tales, like Theo's, out of the state of Pennsylvania. Hi Derek, this is Theo calling from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I have a little bit of a longer story for you. It actually takes place over about 10 or 15 years starting when I was six years old. Just a little background story. I grew up in a small town called Dover, Pennsylvania. And just after my parents divorced, my dad bought a farmhouse. The house was originally built in the late 1800s. And then in the 70s, it had an addition built onto it. And that addition had actually burnt down and was rebuilt prior to us moving there. And my story takes place in this house starting when I was six years old. And I know it was six because it happened the night of my birthday. As soon as you got to the top of the stairs, you walked straight ahead, and that was my bedroom. And as soon as you walked in my room, my bed was the first thing up against the wall there. And so I remember waking up one night, and I sat straight up in my bed, and I saw a little boy standing at the end of my bed. 
And what was interesting was he looked just like me. He looked exactly like me. Blonde hair, blue eyes. He was my height. And he had no facial expressions, just standing there. And at first it felt like a dream. I wasn't scared at all. I had no feelings of fear. And I remember I just laid back down. That happened at least once a year and always around my birthday until I was 14. When I was 14 years old, I was coming home from school one day and got off the school bus. And to get to my house, I could just cut across the field. And you could see my house across the field. And I'm walking up the field. And as I'm walking up there, I look up and I see in my bedroom window that boy. And this was the first time that I've seen him outside of my bedroom. And he, again, didn't look menacing. He just looked like he was looking out the window at me. And I froze. This was also the first time that I actually had some fear, though. And it, it shook me. I didn't know what to think of it. Again, he had no expression. And he looked like the younger six-year-old version of me. And he was just standing there looking out the window. And... I couldn't go back inside. I waited until my dad got home from work. Maybe a year had gone by, and again, I'm coming home off the school bus, walking across the field, and I'm walking up to my house, and our back door was open. The screen door was shut, but the actual door uh, into the house was open, and I saw my dad. And he was sitting down on his knees, and he said, TJ, get down kneel down. And I, I said, Dad, what are you talking about? He said, just get down. So I got down on the ground and I turned around. And when I turned around, I saw my dad pulling in the driveway from work. I turned back around and I looked up to the back door and there was nothing there and the door was closed. And that shook me. I screamed. I ran to my dad's work van and I, Dad, Dad, you, you're not going to believe this. And I told him the story. And that was also the first time that I told him about seeing the little boy. And he didn't believe me. He just was like, no, no, that's not, that's not anything. Um, really kind of pushed it off. So I would say that probably two or three years had gone by and my dad decided to build a house um, close to my grandmother's house in Harrisburg. And I had just started college at this point. And so I had lived in this house alone. And I still had my same bedroom. And this time my bed was across the way. And... One night, I was laying there in bed. I have to sleep with the TV on. I don't like it when it's pitch black. So one night I wake up in the middle of the night and I notice the TV's off and my room is pitch black. And I look over into the corner of the room where the boy had typically been over by the window. And this time I just see a black silhouette of a man. And I sat up in bed instantly and just stared at this. And it didn't move, and I didn't move either. It had no features other than I could tell that it was a man. It had broad shoulders, it was tall, and I just started having this sinking feeling. I, I felt awful, I felt petrified. And I remember I had this extreme pressure in my head, and then I lost consciousness. And I woke up, on the bathroom floor downstairs and I was covered in blood, dried blood on my face, my nose, my hair, and I panicked. I was so scared. 
I ran up the stairs into my room and it, it had looked like a crime scene in my bedroom. I called my mom and uh, I went to the doctor. And the doctor said that they think that I just had a nosebleed and passed out and tried to go downstairs. But I'll never forget seeing that figure. And I felt this pressure, this extreme pressure in my head when that happened. And so years had gone by. My dad sold that farm. We don't live there anymore. And all this time, my dad had always sort of played down my stories, never believed me, kind of shrugged it off. And I, I was visiting with him about a month ago. And I said, do you remember me telling you about this little boy in my bedroom and him always visiting me around my birthday? And he said, yeah. He said, did I ever tell you about how I used to always think that you were outside calling my name at night? My dad used to fix cars in the barn and he used to work at night after we'd gone to bed. And he said that he'd be sitting there and he would be working on the car and he would just hear me yelling for him, dad, dad, come here. And he'd go outside in the barn, he'd look around and he would just see what looked like me running off into the woods. And he said a couple of times he actually went to go find me and then realized I was, you know, back in my bed at home sleeping. And he said it never really scared him, but he said it, it would happen to him a couple of times over the years where he would think you'd hear me calling for him. And I said, I don't know why you ever, why you always played me down. You know, they never believe me, but turns out my dad also saw a little boy look just like me and was calling him, trying to get his attention. So uh, that's my story about this house. I have a couple other stories about that house <laughs> over the years, but that's the one that primarily sticks out. Love the podcast. Love what you're doing. Thanks for the opportunity. Hopefully I'll call back soon. Bye-bye. No, I told you. It was terrifying. Could you imagine living there, knowing at any time the person you think you're conversing with could be a bizarro version, if you will? Imagine the trust issues that would develop. But boy, does it make for a great story. And wouldn't you know that doppelgangers are all the rage right now? For some reason, stories like Theo's have been popping up a lot lately. Not only here on the show, but in popular culture in general. So much so that even science is taking a look. It's all about doppelgangers. The New York Times highlights a new study that finds many of us have virtual twins out there somewhere. Hmm. But here's where it gets weird. The study compared the DNA of unrelated doppelgangers, no family history whatsoever, and found many of them were similar all the way down to their genetics. So the point is, if you have a doppelganger out there, chances are you have some kind of genetic Genetic something. something. All right. All right. Now that brief clip courtesy of the Today Show. And I've also linked to more information on this particular study. And it's in that source that it's mentioned that with so many humans here on Earth, both present day and in the past, that eventually the same genetic code will be replicated by nature. Or a very similar genetic code at least. And it's only because of the internet linking many of us together that we are just now beginning to find our quote-unquote doubles. But let's be honest, that's not what our friend Theo is talking about here. What he saw in his kitchen and what his father saw disappear into the woods was not just a stranger with similar genetic code. Which begs the all-important question, what the hell was it? Now, because these things tend to come in pairs, I thought I'd share another similar submission. 
a submission that, like Theo's, cannot be explained by that study. Hi, I'm going to remain anonymous. I've been listening to your podcast for a little while now, and I've really been enjoying it. My story takes place about 15 years ago. I lived in an apartment down in Houston, Houston, Texas, and this was the strangest, most bizarre night of my life, and actually, I'm not the only person that experienced it. So I had a really small, like, three-bedroom apartment, and just to kind of give you the layout, when you first walk in, there's like a little three-by-three square, which is kind of like your entrance, and to the right is a door that goes directly into the master bedroom where I stay, and then, of course, there's the living room, and it's all it's very small, compact, so there's a living room, kitchen, dining rooms together, and then there's a hallway that leads down to two other bedrooms, and the first bedroom on the left would be my son's bedroom, who was about four or five at the time. My mother was staying with us as well, and she worked at night. So a lot of the times, like if she had a night off, she would stay up and watch TV or read or do crossword puzzles. I mean, she typically would stay in the living room, you know, and just hang out in there. So one of these nights, I had been reading in my room, and I guess I had fallen asleep with the light on, and I started to have this dream. And in the dream, I got the feeling that I needed to go check on my son who was asleep in his room. And so I go, I mean, like, it's sort of weird because, like, I don't really remember, like, doing the steps or walking there. But in the dream, I'm, like, in my son's room, and I'm looking over him, and he's fine. And so I go back to my room, and I'm still asleep at this point, and I hear this strange noise. And I'm like, well, what is this? And it woke me up out of my sleep, and I found myself, you know, sort of sitting up in my bed because I had been reading, and the light was still on. And so I heard this noise over and over, and I'm like, well, that's a strange noise. And I thought, you know what, I bet that's my mother, because it sounded like her, but it was like this really strange, strangled, kind of sobbing noise. And I'm like, oh, maybe she's having a bad dream. Like, maybe she had fallen asleep in the living room and was having a bad dream. So I get up out of my bed, and I go to walk into the living room, which I told you, it's like there's a three-by-three square entrance. So literally, the minute I step out my door, I can see right into the living room. And the couch is only like maybe 10 feet away. And so you could see everything very clearly. But at this moment, when I had opened up the door to my room, I could not see into the living room. It was like there was a black cloud or something. I don't know how to explain it, but it was like you couldn't see through. And I remember blinking my eyes several times trying to figure out why I couldn't see into the living room. And then strangely enough, that cloud started to dissipate and I could see my mother on the couch kind of sitting up like she was trying to get up off the couch she'd been laying down her eyes were the whitest I've ever seen and she I mean she literally looked like she had seen a ghost and she couldn't speak like she was trying to talk and she was like just looked terrified and all of a sudden like I'm like I'm trying to call out to her I'm like mom mom and it's weird because I didn't go into the living room yet I felt like I couldn't go in which was so strange to me. But it finally, like, something happened, and I was able to move, and I moved into the living room, and I kept calling to her. And then she's like, is that you, And I'm like, yes, it's, it's me. <laughs> so we're sitting there, and she's like, well, are you sure that's you? And I'm like, yeah, it's me. I'm like, what's wrong? And she's like, well, I think I saw a ghost. And I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, I, I, I saw a ghost. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And so she starts telling me that she saw this figure up, in like, where, where I had been standing, but, like, up, up above, up, like, on the ceiling. And it said it had, like, long 
arms like she goes it's like spaghetti like it was so strange it was like spaghetti arms is the way she would describe it and it was there and it was terrifying and she said and I'm like well I've been spinning a while you didn't see me and she's like no I couldn't see you I just saw this thing and then she's like well why didn't you answer me when you had walked down the hall and I'm like what are you talking about and she's like I saw you come out of my son's room and then go walking down past the living room and I tried to call out to you but you didn't acknowledge me like you didn't see me or hear me and then I went on past and went into my room but she said it was strange because she didn't hear the door open and shut but I was moving strangely like I didn't have an expression on my face I wouldn't really turn and look at her as if I was understanding what she was saying and it was almost as if I had been floating and not walking and she thought that was really odd and no sooner had I gone into my room than this apparition had appeared and I thought it was strange because I did mention to her, I'm like, well, I had a dream that I had went to my son's room to check on him because I had a feeling like I needed to check on him. So I don't really know what to make of it. It was the strangest night I've ever had or experienced. I mean, maybe it was me and I was sleepwalking, which I've never done. I've never sleepwalked, but I can't even understand how that would even be related to whatever that she had been seeing. But anyway, that's my story. Thanks for letting me share. Bye. Thanks, caller. If this is simply two strangers with similar DNA, both callers need to notify the authorities because I'm pretty sure those are intruders. But if they're not DNA twins, then what are they? And while we're at it, what is the spaghetti-armed entity our caller's mother saw? That's a new one. Plenty of questions and per usual not enough answers. But we thank both of our callers for leading us off. Now that's just the tip of tonight's iceberg, as they used to say. But before we launch in, if you have a tale you would like to have shared here on the show, a true paranormal tale, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or just record your story on your phone and email it to me at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. I'll see what I can do about getting it on the air. Now before I share this next call, I thought it prudent to lay a little groundwork. Now we've covered this place on past episodes, but for those of you that need it, here's a refresher. On Pennsylvania's Penhurst Asylum courtesy of a show most Monsters Among Us fans know well. Paranormal caught on camera. Many asylums of the past have dark and sordid histories, and the Penhurst Asylum in Pennsylvania is no exception. Opened in 1908, it was home to thousands of patients with cognitive and physical disabilities whose families were unable or unwilling to care for them. An investigation in the 1960s revealed that many of these patients had been terribly abused over the years. It finally closed its doors for good in 1987. But many believe the nearly 80 years of pain and misery left the building haunted by tormented spirits. So now that you're all caught up, please join me in welcoming Kyle from the state of Pennsylvania to the program. Good evening, Derek. My name is Kyle. I am from 
Pennsylvania, out near Philadelphia, and I wanted to call in about an experience I had the other year. I don't know if it's ghostly or, you know, it wasn't necessarily negative, but just some unexplained experience. It takes place at Penhurst Asylum. It's about, I don't know, half an hour from where I live. And we were going there for, it was a group of us from where I worked. And my girlfriend at the time and her friends, we were all going there for, you know, like the, the Halloween, whatever, haunted house kind of thing. But we don't really like, you know, all the actors and them jumping out and, you know, just giving us anxiety for no reason when we already live with anxiety every <laughs> every damn day. So there's an option in the tickets to go on like a self-guided tour. You can choose the areas of the whole grounds where you want to explore. So we chose a real late time to explore the infirmary. And, you know, clearly that's supposed to be the most haunted area or whatever. So dimly lit and, you know, only from like natural moonlight and whatnot. And we're walking around and reading all the history and everything. And we make our way upstairs and all the all the rooms, are, you know, not fully sectioned off, but, you know, they're like old hospital rooms where you can walk into each section without a door and the, the walls don't go too high. My girlfriend and I walk into one of, you know, I guess would have been a little patient's room in a corner, and she's on my right, and she's about, I don't know, two feet, maybe three feet away from me on the right, and we're standing apart, and we're just standing there being real quiet and observing everything, and all of a sudden, I just hear, like, a, a little, like, shuffle, like a foot on kind of dirt floor, which is kind of what we were standing on it's you know old kind of dirty floor and I looked over to my left and there was nobody over to my left and I knew that you know it was just a kind of figured it was just the two of us so you know I didn't know if one of our other friends had come in and was checking out where we were standing but looked over my left and nobody was there and my girlfriend looked over at me and she says did you just tap me on the shoulder and I said no I said did you just walk behind me she goes no and I said, all right, well, we're, uh, we're not alone. And uh, again, not necessarily that that was a whole like negative experience. I don't think we had anything follow us home or, you know, nothing unnerving or scary or anything, but, you know, just kind of unexplained. There wasn't anybody around us. You know, I heard a shuffle. She felt somebody on like a hand tap her on the shoulder like three or four times. And, uh, I'm not Mr. Fantastic. I can't stretch my arm that far. But uh, either way, that's my story. Thank you, Derek, for uh, the podcast. I'm a recent Patreon subscriber, and I appreciate everything. And hopefully you can use this. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Kyle. Now, this certainly raises an interesting question. With all of these haunted attractions taking place in these infamously haunted locations. The Queen Mary, the Ohio State Reformatory, Penhurst Asylum, etc. How many of the actors in those productions have experienced something sinister once the night is over? Surely we have a haunted house worker or two listening tonight. So if that's you, and you do have a story, 
I'd certainly love to hear it. Until then, thank you again, Kyle. As spooky as your experience was, what else did you expect from Penhurst at Halloween time? I'd say you got what you paid for. This is spooky season, so why not give yourself a little treat? Try microdosing. All sorts of people, myself included, have found that microdosing helps with pain relief, provides a mood lift, and helps with relaxation. Tonight's show is sponsored by Microdose Gummies by Lumi Labs. Microdose Gummies deliver the perfect entry-level doses of THC and CBD for people who want to feel just that right amount of good without getting quote-unquote high. That's right, I mentioned THC. But before you tense up, keep in mind that microdose gummies are completely legal everywhere in the United States. And while these gummies contain cannabinoids, remember, I'm not talking about getting high. I'm talking about entry-level doses to help you chill out at the end of a long day, reduce anxiety, and sleep like a baby. There are no tricks here, only treats. And a terrifyingly good deal on your first order. Microdose is available nationwide. And to learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code MONSTERSAMONGUS to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show notes, but again, that's microdose.com and the code MONSTERSAMONGUS. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to those Halloween frights. Now, before you listen to this next one, I want you to think to yourself, how would you categorize this call from Rachel from Washington State? Hello, I'm a huge fan of the show and wanted to submit a story that happened to my sister last winter. My sister and I live in a three-story home nestled in the woods on Snoqualmie Pass. When I heard the past couple of shows referencing a voice calling from the woods, I knew I had to submit her story. My sister is a smoker and normally would smoke on the second raised balcony, but this night she smoked outside of her bedroom. My sister's bedroom faces the mountain and is on the ground floor, so it's surrounded by snow and exposed on all sides. Normally this wouldn't matter, but we often see bears and cougars, so it's safer not to stand alone outside in the woods. But this night she was smoking outside when she heard what she swears was me calling her name from the snow-covered woods. She said she immediately felt fearful and called back to me knowing that I was inside and in bed. After calling back to the voice, she got too freaked out and put out her smoke and ran inside. It was 11 at night and she texted me asking if I had gone outside for a smoke and called her name. When I told her no, she had absolutely no idea what she had heard, especially since the woods in the winter were only accessible by snowshoe, which seems like it would be too much of an effort for a local to come and scare my sister, and then never bring it up to her. We still don't know what she heard, but once I heard all the other stories, I knew I should submit. Anyways, I love your show, and thanks for your time. Rachel. Thank you, Rachel. So, how do you label this one? Besides being creepy as hell. Is it a doppelganger story? Since it was Rachel's voice that was being repeated. Or was it a ghostly call from the future? Or an alternate past? 
another one of these living ghost experiences we sometimes hear of, where the spirit that's encountered is that of a living person rather than a long dead one. Or perhaps, and this might be thinking too far outside the box, but given the location of the experience and the fact that the voice beckoned from the forest, and knowing that many reports suggest Sasquatch to mimic human voice, could it have been just that? One of these upright hairy beasts calling out to its next victim from just inside the woodline. Then again, it's quite possible there's a simple, boring, logical explanation we simply just haven't thought of yet. But whatever the cause, we appreciate the call, Rachel, and we appreciate the mystery. That's certainly spooky stuff. Now, you know Halloween is not all witches, bats, and shadows. Sometimes there are strange events reported in our skies as well. Ain't that right, Anonymous Caller, out of Virginia? Hey, Derek. Just wanted to say great podcast. Love the podcast. I've been on and off listening, and recently I've been listening to more on my commute home since I got a long commute. But I was just calling because I just finished listening to Season 12, Episode 10, um, there was a story about, I guess, like a rectangular UFO that was mentioned. And it just reminded me of something that I experienced or I saw. This was like a long time ago, probably like six, seven years ago. And I was with my brother. We were driving down the highway. This is in Northern Virginia, by the way, sorry. And we were driving down the highway from Woodbridge area. We were coming down towards like 495. And we saw like this blue kind of black rectangle looking thing in the sky it just had like a blue light like underneath it like it kind of looked like in a sense like a sound bar but just like in the sky and there's nothing that indicated if it was like a plane or a helicopter and it was just kind of like hovering sideways so you could be looking at it horizontally but it's just like hovering down and it just looked very, very weird. And me and my brother, we were like, whoa, what is that? We were trying to figure it out, but we just couldn't see anything of it besides that it was just a rectangle and then it had like a blue light. And the even crazy thing is like the next day I tried looking it up online to see if anybody had reported anything. And crazy enough, this was around the time where I don't know if you'll be able to find anything, but in California, there was a video that surfaced about this blue, like, light ripple in the sky. It was like a really big, just blue light in the sky that I remember was online for a little bit. And then I think within a week or two, that video got taken down and I haven't been able to find it since. So, like I said, that UFO reminded me of what I saw and let's see if somebody else can have any information on it. Again, love the podcast and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, caller. You know, outside of a SpaceX launch from, I don't know, half a dozen years ago or so, I can't recall any Ripley blue lights out here. Nothing's ringing a bell. But if you know what he's referring to, please do me a favor and fill me in. Unless what maybe our caller claimed is true. And the videos have been completely scrubbed from the internet. Now as for the UFO itself, it's a refreshing change from the tic-tacs and black triangles that we're used to. You simply don't hear this rectangle shape reported all that often. 
but I have heard some stories that were similar. And I've even analyzed a daytime video of a black rectangle UFO over the outskirts of Phoenix. Now, for some reason, I can't remember where that video was featured. Otherwise, I'd link to it. But it showed a large black rectangle over distant mountains as cars passed in the foreground. Now, using dates from the video and comparing locations, I was able to come to the conclusion that the video was likely showing a large banner being pulled by a plane flying over an Arizona Cardinals game. The distance was too great to see the small plane, but not the massive banner that it was lugging behind. So perhaps it was something like that. Something rather benign. Maybe the TV screen on the side of a Goodyear blimp, displaying the dreaded Microsoft blue screen of death. Or that's just one explanation. You decide for yourself. And thanks again, caller, for sharing that entry. Now, moving along here. I'm sure you guys have heard of the black-eyed kids. But have you ever heard of black-eyed adults? Me either. That is, until I received the following entry from Jay in the Garden State. Hey, Derek. Long-time listener, first-time caller. My name is Jay. I'm from New Jersey, from northern Jersey. I have a story that takes place, I would say, 15 years ago. So there's this state fair that they have. It's like the Sussex County State Fair. Sussex is a county in Jersey. And, well, I was there with my ex-girlfriend at the time. And I've experienced a lot of weird things in my life. I've Seen spirits, seen a bunch of crazy stuff. But this was an experience that I always remember. And it was a very short experience, but it really left a mark. We were at the fair, and for some reason, I had like a feeling to look into this crowd. And I just felt like I, it was like a, like, just like an energy or something to, to tell me to look right at these three people that were walking in the crowd. And nobody else saw it just me because i looked at my ex-girlfriend when i saw this and she's like no i didn't see anything and then i'm like nobody saw this but i saw these three men sussex is full of like farms stuff like that they look like farm hands you know like they they worked on the farm or whatever and other than that they were dressed pretty normal whatever but the thing that really stood out was they had black eyes like there was no pupil it was all just black and I've heard of stories of black-eyed children, but I've never really heard too many of black-eyed adults. And it was three of them. And the thing that really gave me chills down my spine is that out of the three, one of them looked straight at me. He knew I was watching him. And that will forever stick with me because it's the only time I ever saw something like that. Like I said, I've seen spirits and and other weird stuff, but... I've never seen a person with just blacked out eyes. And it was very, very crazy. Anyways, this is my story. Love the podcast there. Keep doing what you're doing. All right. Bye. Thank you, Jay. I'll tell you, it's a damn good thing that they weren't walking in unison. You might have been in some real trouble. Now, I'm sure I've heard of one or two of these sort of calls in the past, 
but I can't recall any previous black-eyed adult stories. So this was another dose of paranormal refreshment. And I'm sorry it was at your expense, Jay, but we do thank you for the call. Now, believe it or not, these calls just get more and more wild from here. If you don't believe me, maybe you'll take Dylan's word for it. Because here's his entry, out of Canada. Hi, Derek. This is Dylan Sears from Ontario, Canada. And I live in Woodstock, Ontario. I've been into the paranormal my entire life. I've had sleep paralysis. I've seen spooky stuff. But it was Halloween like around that time in October, and this would have been around 2020, I believe. And I took my girlfriend at the time, my nephew, my dad, and my brother out to look at the courthouse in Woodstock, Ontario, Canada. You can go on Google, like that's okay, you can use all the information. Uh, If you look it up, it's like an old stone building. It's beautiful, but the history behind the building is the architect that built it, he wasn't paid enough. So the gargoyles he put on the building, he made them monkeys. And and you can go around. So my whole life I've been counting these monkeys. But the story gets even weirder after this because I took them out and there's like an old jailhouse. So we're just like going for a little ghost walk. And I walked off by myself down to, I'd say the, the west side of the building. And I, I really encourage people to pull up a photo of this building, but there's a very massive tower on this courthouse. And as I walked around the edge of it, I looked up at the sky and I saw this thing flying in the air. I can't explain it, really. It it sounds ridiculous, but it was, it looked like basically like a flying monkey, but it had like legs like a human. It had a wingspan, I'd say about eight to 10 feet. And it was like a, it was like a brownish tinge and it flew over a tree. And I ran around the building, I, I have witnesses it saw me freak out. I wasn't trying to freak anybody out. And I watched it flap off and then go off into the trees. And I haven't seen anything since then. Yeah, I'm still shook to this day. But like, that happened two years ago now, give or take. And I don't know what I saw. Like, like I'm not the type, like, I didn't believe in any, like, I've had sleep paralysis, believing ghosts and stuff. But I saw this thing, and it, it was very strange. I, I really don't know. But thank you. I love your show. I listen to it. Like, literally, everything that comes out, I've heard it all. I'm, I'm being real with you. Coming to you from Ontario, Canada. Bye-bye. Thank you, Dylan. Now, not to be that guy, but I think monkey gargoyles are quite common. Now, these things used to be made to ward off spirits or to make the location they're fixed to more protecting or more inviting somehow and they were made in the image of many different animals. And they were often depicted as a chimera of sorts, an animal mixed with human attributes. Now, not saying that Dylan's story about the disgruntled stone carver is incorrect, just saying that it's not as uncommon as you might think. But of course, that says nothing of what that creature might have been. A man-like beast with wings, hovering above the courthouse. Now, the mention of flying monkeys made me instantly think of the rebobs of Napa Valley, California. Sinister, flying monkey-like creatures said to inhabit the rural countryside there. I also, of course, thought of West Virginia's own Mothman, the terror of Point Pleasant. 
After all, Woodstock and the TNT area are only about 300 miles apart as the Mothman flies. So it's not exactly a crazy distance. Especially for an ultra-dimensional flying monstrosity. Then there's this candidate that is more fun than it is believable. But after all, it is Halloween. So if you're going to believe in monsters, now's the time. Do you remember the Bat Squatch? The first reports of this creature began shortly after the eruption of Mount St. Helens in 1980, where people started seeing a purplish-blue creature that resembled an ape flying in the skies above. The most notable sighting occurred in 1994, when Brian Canfield was driving his truck through Pierce County, Washington one day. His truck's engine suddenly died, and he slowed to a stop. In that moment, Canfield claims that some 30 feet from his truck, a massive winged humanoid creature descended from above. Canfield described this beast as being nine feet tall with a coat of blue to purple tinted fur, an ape-like face, bird-like feet, leathery bat wings, tufted ears, sharp teeth, and yellow eyes. This monster stared him down for a few moments before taking off. Once the creature was gone, Canfield sped out of the area. That was the voice of Jeff Foran from a TikTok version of his show, Strangeology Podcast. Now, imagine seeing a winged Wookiee flying over your courthouse. Perhaps you'll understand why Dylan freaked out the way he did. And while those are our candidates, let me know if I left anyone out. Choose wisely. And thanks again, Dylan, for sharing that entry. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Have you ever felt stuck focusing on a problem rather than a solution? I can say from experience, when you learn how to find your own solutions, there is no better feeling. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver and make it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or how small. Therapy has helped give me the tools I need to deal with depression and trauma in a better, more healthy way. And therapy can help you unload stress, heal emotionally, and grow as a person. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, more affordable than traditional therapy, and entirely online. So you can connect with your therapist from anywhere. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. And back to that spooky stuff. And now we're down to our last few stories for the regular part of this episode. And I'm not afraid to tell you, they're pretty gnarly. Take Christina's call out of Massachusetts, for example. Hi, Derek, and hi to anyone else who happens to be listening to this. About two years ago, I started volunteering with a group at a historical uh, haunted house down in Middleborough, Massachusetts, which if you know anything about Massachusetts and that area, that's right within the uh, Bridgewater Triangle. 
And uh, through that group, I joined up with a paranormal team. Mind you, the only experience I had really had up to this point was just all the oodles and oodles of books and podcasts that I had just absorbed over the years. Not as many as I would have preferred, but a, a fair amount. Beyond that, it was really more the the many, many years of very strange and unusual things that would happen to me or around me, but I was unable to talk with anyone about it due to what had occurred the few times I had tried to when I was very young. It really wasn't until I had found podcasts like Lore or Astonishing Legends three years ago. It wasn't until then I had really found somewhere I could turn to for this kind of information and really in-depth experience and stories that you hear from podcasts such as yours, Derek. Anyway, the investigation and experience that I'm calling into about today was one that we had done this past July down in Bridgewater, one of the cemeteries that was across the street from uh, an elementary school, I remember. During the setup at the top of the hill, once we got there, there was this, like, veterans obelisk that was right near a set of graves that our team had come to do a few EVP sessions for. When we got there, I happened to look down at the bottom of the hill and see another kind of monument. I was assuming it was probably for our veterans, but what had caught in my eye was this maple tree. I was getting this very odd sense that something was over there. But mind you, the only people present were myself and my two teammates. When I asked our leader about it, he'd had many more years experience in the field and dealing with a lot of the creatures that can pop up within the Bridgewater Triangle. I I believe a lot of you are familiar, at the very least, with the name Pakwaji. When I asked him about the tree, he told me not to go over there and expressed the same warning to our other teammate. He had been getting very odd feelings over there as well, something malicious, and just said it would be better if we just left it alone. We continued with our investigations, but something, (laughs) I guess you could call it the curious cat syndrome, couldn't help but go over to take a look and see at least what the graves were and then I would rejoin my teammates on the other side of the graveyard at the top of the hill. When I got over there I noticed that there were some flowers that had been knocked aside from one of the in-ground stones and turning on the recorder I figured I would you know fix them up, apologize for them having gotten knocked askew and hoping that it would be better, asked just some random questions, see if I could maybe, I don't know, catch something. (laughs) The recording lasted no more than two minutes. I got up, went over to the monument I had seen previously and took a photo because there happened to be a name of a previous family member that I knew there and I thought that was interesting. Rejoining the team, I took one more photo of the maple tree and where I had taken the recording before. I laughed and didn't really think much of it. 
the next day, I didn't really listen to the recording, but the following day, I was involved in a freak accident. Someone decided to run a red light at the last second, and the way that the cars were positioned, I was unable to see them coming, and I got T-boned in it. Because of that, I really wasn't in a great mindset to review the files. I had to go through all the paperwork. You know, my car was totaled. It was all a bit of a mess, and it it really wasn't until about a month later that I, I finally could sit down and listen to the recordings. And if anyone else is wondering, because I sometimes have to contend and wonder myself why it took me so long to listen to that audio file, I do have to contend with ADHD and I I battle depression. Those who have uh, ADHD or others who who know, others who do will understand how easy it can be for things to uh, slip through our fingers almost, even our passions. When I started going through the files, I really wasn't turning up a whole lot and was even getting to a point where I considered not finishing, which is terrible to say, but sometimes you kind of hit that point when you're reviewing a lot of files and you're not getting a whole lot of results. You want to take a break or stop, but as it turns out, you really shouldn't do that. When I opened up the file recording that I took randomly over by that maple tree, almost towards the end of the file, another voice pops up that was not present at the time. I've shortened the clip a little bit, but in the background, you'll hear two voices, which are my two teammates way, way far up on the hill. And then I am just sitting by myself, waiting to dead air to see if anyone would respond. I'm gonna go ahead and click play. In the recording, I could hear somebody saying, hunt you down. And when I heard that, my blood froze because I realized that two days after that recording, I had almost been killed in that accident. Had I gone a second earlier, I would have been probably in a coma. But as luck would have it, I survived with only a couple bumps and, you know, shaken nerves. Hearing that recording was just chilling. Mind you, I still have not gone back to the graveyard down in Bridgewater. I do plan on it because I would really like to see at least whose stones that were over there. But I would also like to see what gravestones were in the reflection of the photo that I took after I had taken that recording. I'm going to send the photo in as well in case you guys wanted to take a look at it. But when I looked at that photo after hearing the recording, I can see what looks like somebody peering out from behind another gravestone with their head on their hand, with their elbow resting on the ground almost, grinning in such a way that taking that 
recording into account is quite creepy. So yeah, I haven't gone back yet. I plan on it, but I'm definitely not taking my own car. I, I'm not taking my new Blueberry, my beautiful car that we were able to get after the whole accident. I think I'll Uber. <laughs> Thanks. I, I hope you guys find this interesting. At the very least, it's, it's one of the most interesting and compelling pieces of evidence I ever have. Thank you. Thank you, Christina. You gotta love a good EVP. Now, for anyone listening that's not familiar with all this lingo, an EVP is an audio recording made of an unaudible sound from an unseen source, a.k.a. a ghost. Now, it's usually only after the experiencer listens back to the recording that they discover these odd artifacts. Electronic Voice Phenomenon or EVP. Now, I've heard some good ones in my day. The really good ones will give you the chills, make your eyes water. And something tells me that this just might be one of those. Now, I'm going to stop talking and replay that recording for you now. And I've taken the liberty of cleaning up the file some. I'll play the original first, then a shortened version twice for each filter. Exact same thing. Hunt you down. And you know, given the fact that a day or two later, Christina was nearly killed in an accident, that certainly gives this unearthly message much more weight. Now, Christina was kind enough to send in the photos that she referenced in her call. Those can be found in tonight's show notes at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash show notes. Now, that's certainly a great capture, Christina. I know there's a class system for these EVPs, but I have no idea how they score it. But I'll tell you, it's an A in my book. And thank you again for sharing. Now, folks, before I hit play on this last one, a brief announcement. The Halloween shirts are back in stock. Visit Monsters Among Us podcast forward slash shop and grab yours before they're gone again. Now, designed by artist Easton Hawk, this pumpkin tossing Bigfoot design is perfect for that year-round look. So don't worry that they probably won't get there until after Halloween. Oh, and there's just a few days left to sneak in a hoodie pre-order. Although while I'm at it, I might as well mention that new in the shop from Chuddy Wink's design is our very first ever Christmas tree ornament. A Bigfooty UFOE addition to this year's tree. Or your car rearview mirror, or luggage tag, or toe tag, or whatever. Oh, one more thing. We finally, after almost seven years, have a sticker pack available. So again, you can get all that at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop. Or just click that shop tab when you get there. And I can't tell you how thankful we are for all the support. 
Nothing. This last story is something straight out of a mid-90s Hollywood horror film. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ethan from West Virginia to the program. Yeah, my name is Ethan Mace. I live in West Virginia. A uh, huge fan of the podcast. Started listening to you guys, and I realized that I had a good story. I think you guys would probably have some good use of. It started happening when I was about five years old. I moved in with my father and my stepmother. Um, we moved into my stepmother's house. It's an old farmhouse. Uh, it was actually in Ohio. Uh, we live right on the West Virginia Ohio border. Big white farmhouse, you know, just generic looking. Three bedrooms, two upstairs, one in the middle level, and then you had a full basement. Uh, basement was always real eerie feeling when you get down there. Uh, but I remember one night when it first started, I was laying in bed, and I went downstairs. I uh, woke up, get a glass of water, walked downstairs, and I heard humming coming from the basement. And it's real vivid right then. I'm not too sure what it was, but something made me go over there. I opened the door, and it was I mean, pitch black, and the, all the noises just stopped. It was almost like every noise in the world just went quiet. Like, it was eerie. And, you know, being a little kid, I was very scared. So I shut the door. And as I'm walking, I hear it again. So I stop. I come back around, and I put my ear on the door, and I hear the humming. And next thing you know, I hear footsteps running up the steps toward me. So I take off, run upstairs, you know, head over the covers, generic kid hiding, terrified. I didn't share this with my parents because I thought it was just a dream. I was also one. I didn't think my parents would believe me um, as a kid. It just kept getting worse. The next night, I was sleeping, and it was about 2, 2.30 in the morning. I remember it was a cold, cold night. Um, we didn't have central heat. All we had was a heater in the middle of the living room, and it would heat the whole house. Upstairs was pretty cold. And I saw a figure in my room, and it was tall and real slender. And my, my stepmother is, is a taller woman, so I thought it was her. So I call out to her, and she didn't answer. So I'm like, what are you doing in my room? So this person turns around, and it's a woman in an old, long black dress with a tight neck, like old Victorian-looking dress, tight gray hair in a bun. I mean, real long witch nose. And she's just staring at me, and she starts talking to me and calling me terrible, and I'm bad, and all this crazy stuff like that. And this just kept happening over and over and over and over again for years. So this was a reoccurring thing. And I always just chalked it up as a, a weird dream until I would start going to my grandmother's house, who lives probably about 40 minutes from my parents' house. And I would always remember, I'd wake up middle night and I wouldn't look out the windows because she would be standing outside the windows staring at me. Would never come in the house, but would stay outside. And my grandmother was a fairly religious person. So, you know, they shared Bibles, things like that lying around the house. So that's what I kind of chalked it up as, was maybe the spiritual, you know, aura around her house was keeping whatever this was away. But I remember I'd always cry when I'd go home because I was terrified. Right? This thing would not let me sleep. So it, it goes on for I mean, years. Uh, when I become 14, we move across the land into our old great-grandparents house we tore it down built a new house you know I'm, I'm relieved i'm thinking great this is behind me no more problems about three months 
didn't hear a thing, didn't see a thing. And my parents went to Huntington, West Virginia for a concert and they left me home alone. My sister was at a, her boyfriend's house or a friend's house, one of the two. And I remember it was just me and our dogs. And I'm laying in bed and my dog starts barking, going crazy. And I'm, I'm getting a little worried. I'm like, if she doesn't do that much, there's something around. So I opened the bedroom door and I had a baseball bat next to my bed. I picked it up and I was walking through the house, nothing, not a sound, everything was fine door was locked looked outside you know i thought maybe it was a raccoon something like that around the house no problem so i go back in my room and i leave my door cracked this time so a little bit of light coming into the hall light and it's about 45 minutes later i'm dead asleep and i my dog kind of starts growling and i'm like hey you know i'm like it's all right let's you know calm down and she just hair was standing up like she looked in defense mode so i kind of sat up my bed and as i sat up my bedroom door slammed open so we have the plastic stoppers on the wall so my door handle hits that so hard that it bounces back and slams shut so i ripped the door open grabbed the bat i'm in the house i had to be just running off pure adrenaline because i would have never done this in the right mind running around the house walking around the house nothing i see no one I, I think I'm losing my mind. You know, my parents are out of town, not going to be back till tomorrow. My sister's wherever she's at. You know, I was like, what is going on? Everything was locked. It's real weird. So it goes on, keeps happening for about two or three straight months. Just little things, like little minor inconvenience things, keep getting knocked over, stuff like that. I uh, mentioned it to my parents. You know, and they, they kind of chalked it up as it's just the house setting. You know, it's a new house. You know, it's things like that. I was like, you know, maybe you're right. You know, it's, it's little things. It's just little things that are happening. You know, maybe maybe the cat pushed the door open that hard. Crazy to think of it, but that's what that's what I started to think. So it keeps going. They go on vacation, and my sister's in college at this point, so I'm 17. I'm laying on our couch, and if you're in our living room, if you look to the left is the kitchen and then and oh, to the right of the kitchen is a giant bay window with our dining room. Beautiful view. So I'm laying there and it was my first time I had sleep paralysis. So I'm laying there. I wake up. I know I'm awake, but I can't move. So I'm trying to move my arms and I look to the right out of my peripheral. I see her standing in the corner. She's yelling at me, screaming. I mean, this awful things like horrible horrible things telling me she was going to kill me i was worthless the world would be better off without me like crazy horrible things and i'm just like it's a dream it's a dream it's a dream so i shut my eyes and i'm holding them real real tight and i open them and i'm looking still to my right where she was she's gone i look up and she is floating directly horizontally with me right above me nose to nose screaming in my face and I remember I just get all the courage I can and I just scream as loud as I can. And it's like I came out of my trance and I could move. And that was the final straw. I was like, there's, there's something wrong. I need to look in to see what's going on. About three months later, uh, my birthday is in August. The night before my birthday at 11.45, that night, I get a very, very dark feeling. It almost felt like a cold coming up my spine and spraying out through my back, through all my nerves. 
So like, it was just like electricity was going through my skin and I started feeling real hateful. I don't know, still know why, but it was the scariest feeling in my life. But as soon as midnight hit, it was like the weight of the world was off my shoulders. I still to this day have never seen it again. So I mentioned this to my sister about three years ago. I let her know what I saw. And she goes, wait, let me describe the woman. She describes it before I even mentioned anything about her. And I said, how did you know that? Did you see her? She goes, no, our house used to be a one-room schoolhouse at one point. The teacher was notorious for being mean to little boys. She said, once you turned 18, you were no longer a little boy. She couldn't be mean to you. And, you know, her saying that just blew my mind. No wonder no one else had these experiences. Nothing like that happened. And then I found that our house, once it was built and everything, it was actually a passageway on the Underground Railroad. So I was hearing the humming of, you know, passing through slaves. You're finding out that this house was part of the Underground Railroad, a one-room schoolhouse. All this crazy stuff was going into it. It just blew my mind. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps sitting here because, you know, that was the most terrifying time in my life. That woman made me have thoughts to this day that I still can't believe I would have thought of doing to myself, other people, animals. It was the worst experience of my life, um, you know, so... I saw your podcast, you know, I'm a huge fan. I thought this would be something that, you know, I could, I could tell to people and not feel like I'm completely crazy. And maybe someone out there has had some similar experience. It was definitely uh, eye opening to say the least. And it really, you know, made me believe all these things that we're not alone here. You know, the spiritual world is well alive and so is the cryptid world. You know, there's, there's things out there I don't think we want to know that's out there and that's what's really terrifying about it uh, but thank you guys for the time and everyone have a have a great day good lord Ethan that's horrifying and it sounds like you have a bit of the trifecta going for you here or maybe going against you for starters Ethan was a kid when this all went down right up to the point that he legally became an adult. But as we've said a million times, kids are typically more susceptible to this sort of strange activity, for whatever reason. And secondly, it seems as though Ethan may have a bit of an ability to communicate with the dead, or at the very least some sort of sensitivity to it. And thirdly, and most importantly, Whoever this woman is, it seems that she was more attached to Ethan than she was any of the structures involved in the story. Likely an attachment of some sort, picked up from God knows where. So it's the trifecta. A susceptible kid, a possible sensitive, and whatever this thing is, it seems to be more interested in him than anything else. I'm sure this combination made for a terrifying childhood, but it also made for one hell of a story so thank you again Ethan for sharing it with us here tonight and that's going to do it for this episode Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me Derek Hayes additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd all media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use if you don't mind helping us out a bit Please head over to Spotify or Apple iTunes or wherever this is possible. Leave us a five-star rating 
and a few kind words. That sort of thing goes a long way to keep the show growing. And if you're one of those YouTubers, give us a subscribe and like and follow or whatever over there as well. Now finally this evening, tonight's score was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co.eg Music, and Carl Casey at Wipeout Audio. For those of you that don't finish the show, have a happy Halloween. For everyone else, I'll catch you in a minute. Have a good night. Now tonight's secret entry is monstrously weird, and you'll soon see what I mean. Matt in Massachusetts, go ahead and tell him what you saw. Hey, how's it going? This is uh, Matt from Plymouth, Massachusetts, and my whole life I've kind of always been intrigued in the fact that there could be things among us that we just don't really know, but um, this happened when I was about nine years old. It was Halloween night, which is adds on to the comedic effect, in my opinion. But you know how kids get on Halloween night when they're when they're younger. You know they're scared, they're scared, they're scared. You know the ghouls, the goblins, they're out, they're thriving. But I'm laying in bed and the wind is whipping. Like I got an older house built in 1970, so you know that was creaking a little. I was real scared, and uh, I'm just staring out my window. The blinds are open, and my eyes are obviously adjusted to the dark at this point. It was like way later in the night. I'm just staring out the window at the tree line and I'm just staring and staring and staring and then all of a sudden, like, I see the most bizarre and funny thing ever. I see what looks to be a massive ape jump from the top of one of the trees into the air and almost kind of like hit the typical, like, gorilla fists in the air after they pounded their chest pose, then immediately dove back down into the trees. And I was absolutely shaking for a good 30 minutes insisting I saw a eight man swing from the top of my trees in my backyard. And I live in Plymouth, Massachusetts, which is turning into more of a urban area and just very populated. So I don't know what a uh, eight man would be doing down in uh, the beaches and city town Plymouth, Mass. But hey, I saw it. Thank you, Matt. Let's call a spade a spade. He's talking about Bigfoot, or Sasquatch, or whatever you want to call it, I think. And as we discussed just a few short weeks back, even the smaller, less Sasquatchy states still have pockets of activity, and the state of Massachusetts is certainly no different. Several reports have trickled in from the codfish state over the years, usually from the western reaches in areas like the Bridgewater Triangle. But there are other experiences on the eastern side of the state, even outside of Matt's Ryan. For example, check out this story recorded by Bigfoot researcher David Hallett for his YouTube page. Now for a little context here, two women were raccoon hunting with their hounds near Betty's Neck Road, a mere 20 miles from Plymouth, 
the location of Matt's sighting. They were standing near their vehicles, waiting for their dogs to return. Dogs that they were trying to track with the GPS system. That's when they heard something popping through the brush. Hoping it to be one of the dogs, they light up the area with a spotlight. We hear this noise coming through the woods. She's like, oh, that might be Tucker. I go, that is not Tucker. Because that is no way. It was way too heavy to be Tucker. It wasn't a deer and it wasn't a bear. Because I hunt, I know those sounds. It wasn't either or. Okay. So she comes running around the truck. I grab her head cam or her headlight thing and flash it over to the woods. And when we did, we sh- it was like at least, I would say, in between eight to ten feet tall. Really? It had to be. Okay. Yeah, big. Like broad. You know what I mean? Big, Nothing yeah. yeah. It looked at us, we looked at it, and it just squatted down. I mean... Like it, it wanted to hide? Yeah, because like, like, okay. we surprised it. I don't think it was expecting a bright light, you know what I'm saying? Right, like, right. I think it thought it was safe in the shadows of the woods, not thinking that we would have a light, you know? But then we sat there for a minute, we were both like... I go, did you see that? She goes, yeah. I go, what was that, you know? Because be, when you first sure. see it, you're like, what is that, you know right, what I'm saying? Right, right, right. And I was like, oh man, that was crazy, because it was brown, it was hairy, I mean hairy. You could just see it. So then, what, what kind of hair was it? M- m- mangy or was it clean hair? It was like, no, it was was like it... something like you, you know, like furry, like scruffy, like okay. sticking up. You yep. know what I'm saying? Yep. Like not not normal. Like a a bear has a smooth right. coat. Okay, it's not like that. Not okay. at all. Now just follow the link in the show notes to the video to hear the full story. And let's just say, whatever it was, it wasn't human, and it probably shouldn't have been there. And it just might have been the exact same thing Matt saw that Halloween night. Proving there just might be monsters in Massachusetts. Thank you again, Matt, for sharing the story. And thank you for joining us this Halloween Eve. I trust the tales you heard tonight left you fearful and horrified. And if so... My job here is done. After all, a little respect to the unknown goes a long way this time of year. Now, if you're a paying customer, I have plenty more in store. But if you're a free show person, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but this is where I leave you. But for a mere $5 monthly pledge at patreon.com, You could join us tonight and all other nights as we go beyond. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. Now, also for free on Patreon, we just posted our latest Nights at the Roundtable episode, where we watched the 1989 TV movie classic, The Woman in Black. So you can find all of that by simply going to patreon.com and searching for Monsters Among Us podcast. Now this first call of the bonus content toys with the concept of alien abduction. So Ben from Iowa, welcome to the beyond. Hey Derek, it's Ben from Iowa. I've been going back and forth about telling you this, because I'm still confused about what happened, and it was just last week, August 25th, 2021, that this happened. My wife and I were at home, we were watching TV, and we were watching that Dr. Stephen Greer's uh, UFO movie, the new one that came out, but close counters with this kind. And she went to bed, and I went outside, and I found a